It was about 20 years ago that uh, we were privileged to go on a minister's tour to the Holy Land. It was, uh, it was a great experience. Eight days for 200 quid each wasn't bad in 1999. It's the only reason we went, because it was cheap. No, um, but it was a, it was a really, uh, really great uh, experience. And I think, certainly for me, the greatest time was 8 o'clock in the morning, sitting on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, reading this kind of scripture about the disciples on the sea, and seeing in the distance the fishermen of Galilee literally bringing in their, their catch that they'd done overnight. It was very, very moving. So, and I'm sure those of you who've been uh, to the Holy Land will be able to uh, resonate with that. Here's a few pictures of uh, the Sea of Galilee that you can see. The top one is one of the, you know, it's a kind of postcardy picture. It's all very lovely. The one on the top right is rather gorgeous as well. Sea of Galilee, you see there in every picture there are hills. The bottom two are slightly darker. Uh, and the one in the middle is a kind of representation of uh, fishermen many years ago uh, on the Sea of Tiberias. So it's slightly different, but the fishing boat would have been the kind of fishing boat that uh, the disciples were sort of in. The bottom two pictures are important because they are darker. Uh, and uh, I understand that uh, the, the, the geography of the Sea of Galilee means that when the cool eastern winds come over through the hills and they meet the warmer western winds then there's thunderstorms and because of the uh, hills around something starts swirling and there's a great storm and it can happen very very quickly uh, in a very short time if you'd like to look at Matthew chapter 8 24 where there it is and Jesus got into the boat this is a, this is Another account, this is not the walking on the water, this is the other story of Jesus getting into the boat, starting across the lake with the disciples, suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking the boat. That's how quick it, it could happen. And then you see the story, uh, Jesus is sleeping, disciples are frightened, Jesus wakes up, why are you scared? Uh, I'm in the boat. And suddenly there was a great calm. But our, our story today stretches our thinking again. Not only was a storm brewing, but Jesus and Peter both walk on the water, on the surface of the water. What do we make of this? Well, I think there are some important thoughts to take on board, which I hope you'll all find helpful for your spiritual walk yourselves. Now, it's obvious you don't need to be a minister or a Salvation Army officer to understand that the story of the, storm, of the storm is a strong metaphor for those disruptions that come and smack into our lives when we don't want them, when we don't expect them. And they cause some kind of personal turmoil. And then we see Jesus walking over the storm, walking over the problem, saying, here I am, you know, uh, depend on me. Um, that's the basic message of it. And so I want to speak on the following three thoughts, but go a little deeper. First, the nature of the storm. Second, a reaction to the storm. And then thirdly, how to come through the storm. So let's look at the nature of the storm. I want to start by saying that sometimes when a storm gathers quickly in your life, 
or you enter into some kind of storm, it's a storm so often that other people cannot see. It can be a storm that racks your health or your strength, and some of you know this well in this congregation. It may be a storm that damages your financial situation, a sudden expense or an unexpected debt. It may be a storm that shatters your emotions. Someone close to you has unexpectedly passed away far too early. A relationship has fractured and is breaking up as those winds of betrayal and distrust are howling around it. It may be a storm whose waves engulf your thoughts and feelings so much that all you want to do is run for cover and safety. Somebody's let you down. A friend has upset you. Why? What's going on here? It is your secret storm. When you get up in the morning, you have a ritual, don't you? We all have a ritual. We all do something. You put your clothes on. You put your makeup on. That's ladies mainly. You shave or you use beard oil. That's men mainly. Then you put on your coat. But what's the last thing you put on? Often in a secret storm. It's your face. The mask goes on. The front, the look, the face you want people to see. And folk may look at you and might be, they, they see the nice, even successful lifestyle, but they don't see the disturbed nights that work pressures and work-life balance challenges are putting on you. For others, it might be loneliness, it might be debt, it might be the weight of past sin and past regret. It might be family anxieties that you can't share because it means letting down your own flesh and blood. All can be secret storms and the pressure of all the elements in the storm seem to conspire against you. And I'd suggest, I'd suggest that we've all been there without exception. There are many, many different natures to a storm. A crisis has happened and nobody knows the toll that it's taking on you. Now to the second point which talks about our response, how to react to the storm. Now we get a lesson from the Bible here, from Bible characters. Matthew 14, 23. We are told, and Ros read this earlier, that Jesus dismissed his disciples. He sent them off in the boat. They journeyed off on the sea. He wasn't around when the seas rose. And I wonder how often in the storm our reaction has been, where is God in all of this? If God were with me, surely this wouldn't happen and everything would be all right. My family member wouldn't have gone sick. Or if God were with us, there'd be no cancer. There'd be no diseases. Children in Africa wouldn't be drinking from infected and infested rivers in order to live. Have you ever yelled at God? Where are you? What's going on? What's this all about? Hands up if you've ever questioned, God, where are you? What's this all about? That's a lot of people, isn't it? Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's have a look at this. Selected verses from the book of Job. You'll like this. 
Not a lot, uh, Daniels used to say. Chapter 16. Oh God, you have ground me down and devastated my family. As if to prove I have sinned, you've reduced me to skin and bones. My gaunt flesh testifies against me. Now you think you've got it bad. Job, everything went wrong. His health, his family, every single thing happened to Job that you could imagine. God hates me and angrily tears me apart. He snaps his teeth at me and pierces me with his eyes. Go to the next one. I was living quietly until he shattered me. He took me by the neck and broke me in pieces. That's, that's how it felt. Then he set me up as his target, and now his archers surround me. His arrows pierce me without mercy. The ground is wet with my blood. My complaint today is still a bitter one, and I try hard not to groan aloud. If only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. And this, this verse is crucial. I go east but he's not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he's hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. The next slide, I think. God has made me sick at heart. The Almighty has terrified me. Darkness is all around me. Thick, impenetrable darkness is everywhere. I don't, north, south, east, west, he's not around. It's all nonsense. Storm, as you see in that verse, seems worse at night. And perhaps his reaction is familiar to ours. Back in Matthew, verse 25 tells us that this storm on the sea occurred at the fourth watch of the night. There were timings the Roman military guards had, four watches through the night, each of them three hours long, and this one was the fourth zone, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And this brings us to our last heading, how to come through the storm. Well, firstly, we can have faith in the God who works actively under the cover of darkness. You know, we can hold all the praise and worship meetings we could have all the praise and worship songs and all the prayers and all, all, everything like that in the world. We could hold Salvation Army music festivals every night of the year. And yes, we believe and pray that God is there amidst all those bright lights, the stage and the lighting, sometimes the hazy fog too. But I've heard many more testimonies to God's saving presence in the face of personal storm in the dark night experience. I've heard some of you here and many, many other people whose deepest spiritual lives I've been privileged to share in say, I do not know how people without a faith can get through this kind of crisis. Or many countless people have looked back and said, oh, God was with me in the tears, in the confusion, in the pain, in the heartbreak. I was able to pray, I was able to talk it through. And God appeared to me. So here's a question for you. Give you, give you 60 seconds to talk to the person next to you. It's a, it, it, this is one of those that comes up on a Bible quiz. It would come up on a Bible quiz if we were doing a Bible quiz. 
What are, how many and what are the wisdom books? They're called the wisdom books of the Old Testament. Without looking at a telephone, without looking at a mobile phone, what are the wisdom books in the Old Testament? Even if you don't get it right, just have a little, have a little talk. Okay. Right, I'll call them out. I won't ask you to call them out. I'll call them out. If you got it, shout yay. All right? Or no, shout hallelujah. That would be better. Shout hallelujah if you got that right. Okay. Song of Solomon's. Ecclesiastes. Proverbs. Yes, yes. A bit louder, a bit louder somewhere else in the hall. Psalms. And Job. Good, you got them. You see, what's important there is that all those books talk about big emotions. And particularly... Psalms, Ecclesiastes, parts of Proverbs, and much of Job talk about pain and suffering. And yet it's called, they're called wisdom books. Can you see how wisdom comes through suffering? So much. Do you get what I'm saying there? The story of Job. Are you with me? story of Job. Wisdom comes through crisis. And pain. One of the great thinkers of the church who, profounded a, who propounded a theology of hope through looking at the cross of Christ is Jürgen Moltmann. Now, there's a lovely book coming up here. Now, I'm going to invite you, if you do have your mobile phone, to take a photo of that because it is a wonderful book. And if you want to go back and order it, I'm sure you could get it somewhere quite reasonably because what it is, it's a book that's talking about reaching for God when you don't know where he is or when he sees, seems absent. Or when north, south, east and west, he isn't there. This is a book about people who've been through that experience and come out the other side. Can you imagine 40 years ago if I'd said, get your phone out and take a photo? But if you want to, that's a great, great book to do it with. Uh, And I just want to read a little bit uh, of this. Jürgen Moltmann was not born in a Christian home at all. He had a profound experience as a prisoner of war. And he read in prison, If I made my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Moltmann, the prisoner, read this, Could God be present in that dark night? He says, I was dumb with silence. I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. And as he read, he found words that perfectly captured his own feelings of desolation. He became convinced that God was present even behind the barbed wire. No, most of all, behind the barbed wire. Don't be so aware of the storm that you lose the thought or any awareness 
that God might just be there in it with you. Job shouts at and he swears at God because he can't find him anywhere. And yet at the end of his book, we read in chapter 40 that God confronted him. Now, what do you have to say for yourself? Going back to the court analogy. Are you going to haul me, the mighty one, into court and press charges? And Job's faith is restored. And this is what he says. Would you read this with me? Because it's quite fun. I'm ready to shut up and listen. I'm speechless in awe. Words fail me. I should never have opened my mouth. I've talked too much, way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. That's what Job shouts at God. When God in all his majesty and in all his glory says, hang on a minute, everything you thought was valuable, I am able to restore. We all know that the walk of Jesus on the water symbolizes his presence over the troubles, over the deep, over the chaos and darkness. But let's finally take a look at the walk of Peter and what this shows us about coming through the storm. Remember that the disciples still think Jesus is on the land. They did not recognize him on the water because they did not expect to find him there. They thought he was on land. They did not expect to find him on the water. So after the initial shock, and they say, as you heard, this is a ghost. Jesus is imaginary. But then Peter gets it. Jesus is here. And he is walking in seemingly impossible conditions. And Peter wants to be like Jesus and wants Jesus to be with him. So he takes the risk. It's a risk of faith in a rough sea. It's a risk that almost pays off until he starts to sink, of course. Now, I've heard sermons on this where preachers have berated Peter for his lack of faith. Don't be faithless like Peter, they say. Oh, don't be like Peter. He sank below the waves. To which I respond with, hang on, Peter actually did walk on water for a bit. Don't you? That's pretty good, I'd have said. He had the faith and the sheer guts to leave a familiar seat in a familiar fishing boat and get out of the vessel and walk to the Lord. And there are plenty of books and stories about this phrase. But Peter was human and he did panic and he started to sink because the, when the time of testing came, he thought Jesus was absent. Yet he reaches out his hand and he finds that Jesus is right there reaching out his hand too. And here's the important thing. Though he felt his head going beneath the waves, he was still close enough to God to be rescued. Even though he felt his head going beneath the waves, he was still close enough to God for God to save him. Scripture uses the word ghost. And I was thinking this week, you know, perhaps this is a big metaphor as well. We can t read it like that. Jesus is still on the land, but actually, no, he's with you. Jesus, you think he's distant, but actually, he's with you. And Jesus says, come to me, and whatever it takes, I will hold you. I am with you in the storm, however you feel. And he says that to you and me this morning. There is no chaos, no maelstrom that is too much for him. There is no storm too fierce. And I conclude with confirmation from these first few verses of Isaiah 43. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says... 
Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Then he says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So friends, remember your salvation. And remember that at some time or another, the storm shall pass. Because every storm does.